Our gospel reading this morning is from the 11th chapter of St. Luke. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up now and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will eventually get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. And everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Before we walked in this morning, um, just before the confession, Bill Seyfert pulled me aside and said um, that he was gone last week. We knew that. Bill's here every single week, so when uh, he's not present, we just sort of feel it. There's just something about it. You can tell that Bill is not here, Bill Seyfert. But he said he was able to join us in, in worship because of his computer. He was able to be at the beach at the Isle of Palms and still join us in worship. Then he said, it's a miracle, really. Uh, when I was a young kid, when I was born, we didn't have TVs or computers, of course, uh, and the phone had two pieces, right? One that you listened and the other piece uh, to speak. Staring into the computer screen last week, he thought, this is truly a miracle, and it is. So we are so very thankful for it. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you've given us a picture of life that really is life, But there are so many competing images and messages that just seem to confuse us. Today, Lord, we pray for a glimpse of Your truth. As we dive into Your Word, shine at least a small glimmer of light onto our path and open our eyes that we might see it. Amen. So today, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about images, big and small, and I'd like to start with a story. This war in Ukraine has given all of us a a better grasp for the geography and the history of that particular region of the world. Ukraine, as it turns out, is huge, second largest country in Europe, the size of Texas. There are 45 million people who live in Ukraine. It's the world's fourth largest exporter of grain. Fascinating history, none of which I knew before this crazy, insane war. For example, do you remember Ukraine's Orange Revolution of 2004? Some of you might remember. I remember the title. I don't remember any of the history. Well, as you know, the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. The Soviet Union was a group of republics that grouped together as one country, the largest of which were were Russia and Ukraine. When the Soviet Union collapsed, the republics suddenly had to find a way to, to be independent, and some of them moved very quickly towards democracy. But change in Ukraine was, was not easy, and it was very, very slow. The people 
they wanted democracy, but not so much the government, which had its firm grip on things, uh, essentially operated as a dictatorship. Well, the leader of the reform movement in the Ukraine was a man named Viktor Yushchenko, who, who dared to run against the government's hand-picked candidate. Interestingly enough, however, in the middle of the campaign, Yushchenko fell deathly ill, nearly died from a mysterious case of dioxin poisoning. His body weakened, his face permanently disfigured. Coincidence? Well, against all advice, Yushchenko nevertheless decided to remain in the race for president. Too much was at stake, he said, and sure enough, on election day, all the, ele the exit polls showed him with a very comfortable 10 percentage point lead. But that evening, the state-run TV and its broadcasters reported this, quote, ladies and gentlemen, we announce that the challenger, Viktor Yushchenko, has been decisively defeated. People were stunned. No way, it must be rigged, uh, came the cry. But interestingly enough, the government had not taken into account one feature of Ukrainian TV, Natalie Dimitruk. She's the sign language interpreter for the Ukrainian state-run television station. The woman always present, you know where they are, in the very small box in the lower right-hand corner of the TV screen, there, here, wherever you are, I guess, around the world. She was easy to look, as they often are, especially if you are not hearing impaired. You eventually, you just forget that they are even present, but you can imagine how critically important she was to the deaf community. Well, she had been in the newsroom all afternoon, as was normal for her, and like everybody else in the newsroom, she knew that the election was a sham. The evidence was overwhelming, but the broadcasters were ordered to stick with the government's message that Yushchenko had been defeated. But in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, whenever the broadcasters were making their announcement that night, a different message was being shared to the deaf community. I am addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine, Dimitri signed. Don't believe what the authorities are saying. They are lying, and I am ashamed to translate these lies. Yushchenko is our president. <laughs> the crazy thing is that nobody in the studio knew what she was doing, but 100,000 deaf Ukrainians knew. And quickly, the message was shared like wildfire, including to, to journalists and news uh, channels throughout the country. And within hours, word of the rigged election swept across the nation of Ukraine. It, it, it led to outrage, to protests, and a threat of revolution. The country's Supreme Court, as a result, ordered another election. And at this time, Yashinko, sure enough, won and was installed as the country's first democratically elected president. It's what we now know as the Orange Revolution. And it's thanks in large part to a woman born of deaf parents who dared to tell the truth. You know, it strikes me that the image of a small screen of truth in the corner of a big screen of life is an ideal picture of the church. The message of the big screen, like it or not, we don't have a whole lot of control over, if any, at all. Its message is controlled by things, dominated by things like social media or celebrity or athletes or political commentators, those who teach us that one's worth, as it 
turns out, is, is dependent on things like appearance and image and income and power. Those who spout a big screen message that begs us to consume, 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 indulge, 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 judge, 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 a message that bombards us over and over again every single day, despite its effect on our health, despite its effect on our relationships, despite its effect on our planet, a big screen message that, if we're honest, has patently failed. Who occupies the lower right-hand corner of this big screen of life? Who is it that, in the midst of all the messaging and all of the positioning, dares to tell the truth? Well, no doubt that Jesus was once that man who begged us not to believe the cultural lies that surround us, saying instead things like, blessed are the poor, not the rich. Saying things like, the first, they will be last, and the last first. Saying things like, what what does it profit a man to gain the world but to lose his soul? A man who invited us to look through God's eyes, not the world's eyes, to discover that God cares as much about Damascus as He does Wall Street, the inner city as the gated community, that God's kingdom will be built in the most surprising of places as it turns out, oh, and yeah, by the most improbable of people. But is that message being heard today? Or have we become oblivious to the man in the bottom of the screen? Well, that was the question that St. Paul asked a small group of Christians in Colossae. No more than 10 or 20 people. It's a small community in Colossae. Even though Colossae itself had been once a bustling and important city in the Roman Empire, but at this point, its importance had already begun to wane. And sure enough, the Christian community there was not a large community at all. It was a small, struggling community, no more than 10 or 20 people who met in the home of a man named Philemon. Paul had never been to Colossae, as it turns out, but he had heard that they were facing challenges everywhere they turned, intense pressure that was pushing in against them. Some thought that that they should give up. Others thought that they should give in, and you know what that means, right? I mean, uh, that they should change the message of the gospel so so as not to offend anyone or so as not to cause any further trouble. After all, Paul was writing to them, and they all knew that that Paul was in prison himself, either in Ephesus or Rome, and we're not sure exactly where, but we do know that he was there because he dared to preach the gospel. Do they want to face the same fate? Of course not. So what do we do? Well, from prison, Paul wrote this small, nervous community a letter. And in it is some of the most glorious and beautiful language that's ever been written about Jesus Christ and about the gospel. You see, Paul cared deeply for for these people, but he also cared deeply about the good news. For For the gospel, he said, is our only hope, our only hope for the future. And so Paul offers three bits of advice to these Colossians in the letter that he writes. 
The first is in verse 6. I'm in our first reading today, and you can take a look again. We're in chapter 2. We've been spending the last couple of weeks on Colossians, and and this is likely our last week with Colossians, but we're in chapter 2. And take a look at verse 6, this piece of advice. Paul says, continue to live your lives in Christ. Continue, he says. Don't take it for granted. Philip Yancey writes about a church leader in Moldova that happens to be uh, just next door to Ukraine. It's another former Soviet republic. And as you now know, and uh, before 1991, um, this church leader said that for the most part, public gatherings among Christians was, was outlawed or severely discouraged. And, and so, what he did as a church leader, as a strong Christian, um, as a leader of the Christians in his community, he, he knew that he couldn't hold public gatherings anywhere public, and so he held prayer meetings in, a, in an outhouse, a smelly outhouse, because it was the only place neighbors would not expect them to gather. Week after week, month after month, year after year, year this small group of Christians would, would gather in a smelly outhouse to pray. He laughed every time he thought about, about what they had to do in order to express their faith in those days, but then he would add a sobering comment. But now that we are free, the church has lost its passion. People no longer meet. To which Paul says, continue. Continue to live your lives in Christ. Don't give up. Continue. Paul's second bit of advice to the small church. Number two, let your message be, and this is from Verse 7, let your message be overflowing with thanksgiving. It's interesting, to me at least, (laughs) Paul could have written this letter um, as if he was shaking his fist at the Roman authorities, right? I mean, Paul's in prison. They've shaken his fist at the Romans who put him in prison and crushed his spirit. He, he could have gotten those Colossians even. He could have gotten them all riled up about the threats they were facing, all upset and, dis- and, and, and angry at all the, the challenges that they were facing on a daily basis. But Paul didn't choose that approach. He reminded them that at the end of the day, Christ has already defeated the powers of darkness that Jesus has already reconciled all things unto Himself. That's the purpose of of chapter 1 of Colossians. He he makes that abundantly clear. Jesus has already reconciled unto Himself all things. And and that's something to celebrate, Paul says. Now, that's not a world that they could see with the naked eye, no doubt. I mean, what they saw were bullying magistrates. They saw threatening officials. They saw uh, people all around them uh, giving their allegiance to Caesar. They saw torture. They saw persecution of the Christian community. But, and this is so very important, Paul was inviting them to see the world through a new lens, through through, through the lens of faith. Because you see, when you face the challenges and when you face the threats of the day, to them but also to us, look through that lens, the lens of the gospel, a gospel that never ends with death but with what? Resurrection. A gospel that's never satisfied with separation but is always working towards reconciliation. When you look through that lens, 
you will begin to see the new life that is all around you. I mean, you'll begin to hear the voices of hope that, that otherwise are, are so hard to hear in our world today. You will find yourself in the company of people and of things that fill you with grace, not despair. But your heart, it will be overflowing with thanksgiving. I guarantee it. Isn't that what you want? I mean, truly. Every day when you put feet to the ground, when you pull yourself out of the bed, isn't that the kind of life you want? It's the life that I want. So choose this day, friends. Choose this day to look through the lens of faith, the lens of the gospel. With all of that in mind, and this is the final very brief point, with all of that in mind, the message of the big screen suddenly seems inadequate, don't you think? The message that constantly um, bombards us day in and day out, it seems so, well, shallow and unfulfilling, but it remains, nevertheless, so very seductive. Uh, So, Paul adds one more little bit of advice. Verse 8, he says this, see to it, and by this point is calling them his sisters and brothers, See to it, my friends, see to it, my sisters and brothers, that no one takes you captive by pithanologia. I want you to say that word. Say it. Pithanologia. Say it again. Pithanologia. It's a Greek word, right? We all always need to learn a Greek word every single day, don't we? That's a legal term, as it turns out in Greek, that refers to those who try to seduce you or intentionally deceive you. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by pithanologia, whose intent, whose, whose desire, whose purpose is to only seduce you, not encourage you, whose purpose is to deceive you, not to reveal to you the truth. Be weary of them. Be aware of them. Make sure that no one takes you captive by that kind of deceit, Paul says. Instead, be ever attentive to the message of the small screen in the lower right-hand corner of life, the voice of the one who, as it turns out, reminds you and wants to remind you over and over again that your worth is not dependent on appearance or income or power, but that your worth is a sacred gift from God. So two questions for you as you step into this new week, fully aware that you're going to face some incredible opportunities this week, but also some challenges and perhaps some threats. Two questions as you face it all. What lens will you look through? And number two, which voice will you listen to? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you so much thanks for your word, for the courage of people like Paul who who stood before the authorities of this world and dared to proclaim your gospel. Lord, give to us the courage to love. Give to us the courage to be about your work of reconciliation. Lord, give to us the courage to be about your work of deep forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for sharing with us this brilliant letter to the Colossians and and pray that your truth might find its way into our daily life. In Jesus' name, amen.